If you'd like to turn with me, I'll be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, uh, certainly a chapter many of us read out of over the last uh, few weeks and months with Christmas. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read a part that uh, maybe we don't read a lot at Christmas. No reason we shouldn't, but... By way of opening, I'll mention, you know, we don't know a lot about the life of Christ when he was young. We often read Luke chapter 2 to hear about his birth. We know uh, what happened there. And, and really, between his birth and when he began his ministry, around the age of 30, we don't have a lot of details. Uh, but there are a few accounts, and one of them I want to read today. So Luke chapter 2, I'll start with verse 22. Um, and just for the sake of context, let me start with verse 20 and point out to you that the shepherds came, the angels were there, uh, they praised God um, when Christ was born. And in verse 21, it picks up and says, At the end of the eight days, he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then where I want to focus today is starting with verse 22. It says, When the time came for their purification, According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. For a light, for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people Israel. In this, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for the sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." I don't want to end there today. I thought about continuing on, but I think for the sake of time, we will leave the remainder for another time. But I want to point out what was going on here. So Christ is born, and as we know about Christ from Scripture, that He was sinless. So He lived a life as a human and took upon our nature and who we are, but yet was without sin. And for Him to be without sin as an infant... One of the very first things that had to be done was for Mary and Joseph to fulfill the law, to do the things that they were commanded by the law to do. And so on the eighth day after he was born, he was circumcised and officially named. And then what we see and what we just read about was a time when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple uh, for a couple of different reasons. One was for Mary's purification, which we'll read about in a minute. The other was to dedicate Christ as the firstborn son. And the third was to give a sacrifice, all of which was required by the law. So 
If you would like to turn, I'll be just reading Leviticus real briefly because I think this is important. And it's important because we need to understand that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the law and abided by all the law. And we ought to be thankful that his parents feared God enough to fulfill the law in this way. And so in Leviticus chapter 12, we see some important instructions that are given to the people. In verse 2, it says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. At the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the day of her purifying are completed. And so we see in here instructions, as odd as it may sound for these things to be in the scriptures, uh, that are required things that happen after a child is born, and particularly how to dedicate the firstborn male child as something that is given back to God. And so what we see are Mary and Joseph who travel back to Jerusalem to the temple to fulfill this so that she can be purified and so that Jesus can be uh, dedicated to the Lord. In fact, uh, um, Exodus uh, 13 and 2 says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast is mine. We also see in the scripture that I was reading in Leviticus uh, that there are options And if you cannot afford a sacrifice of a lamb that you were to give two turtle doves or two pigeons. And we can probably conclude from this that Christ's parents were not exactly wealthy or they would have given the lamb. But instead they gave what they could afford, which is two small doves or pigeons. So that's the scene. That's why they are there. They are fulfilling the law. And while they are there, they meet this man, Simeon. I want to talk about Simeon for just a minute because we actually don't know hardly anything about this person. Now, there's a lot of assumptions about him. And to be honest with you, some of these assumptions I even carried until recently when I began to study for this and probably some assumptions you have as well. Now, some of these assumptions may be correct and they may not be correct. So uh, often it's considered that we think Simeon is a priest. We don't really know if that's actually the case. It could have been the case. He could be a priest who was there in the temple who was serving that day to help consecrate all the firstborn who were brought to the temple and to give sacrifices. But we don't actually know whether he was a priest or not. It's also assumed that Simeon was really old. And we carry this forward a lot. And there's some traditions that talk about him being uh, over 100 or even close to 200 years old. But there's no scriptural support for that. In fact, we don't have any idea how old he was. He could be very young. What we do know is that he was promised that he would not die until he got to see the Christ. And that promise was fulfilled to him. And so that could have happened around the age of 20 or 25, or it could have happened around 85, or it could be older. We don't really know how old Simeon was. We often think he was very old. What we do know is that he was at the temple that day. And we know why, because the Spirit seemed to tell him that's where he should go. We also know from the scriptures, it says that he was righteous and that he had a relationship with other uh, mankind, other men and women, and it was a good and proper relationship. He was trustworthy. He was a good friend that we talked about recently in a service. That He had good character and good integrity. We also know that he was devout and that he loved God. He worshiped God. He served God. And we often see, and rightfully so, those two things put together. You cannot serve and love and be devout to God if you are not righteous 
and good to other people. And so we see that he was a good man as far as we can understand that he was righteous and devout. We also see that he was waiting, the scripture says, for the consolation of Israel. Now, this is an unusual phrase for us today. Uh, we don't um, often talk about things this way. And in verse 25, it says, Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was righteous and devout, as I just said, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I want to talk about the consolation in a few minutes, but I want to pick up on a few other things that are important here about Simeon and the little bit that we know. I said the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, again, if you remember, good Bible scholars out there, the Holy Spirit at that time was not necessarily uh, given to everyone. It's something that came after Christ uh, sacrificed his life and was brought back to life. He says as much that he would send the Holy Spirit as our comforter, as our guide, as the uh, guarantee of something to come. And so Simeon having the presence of the Holy Spirit living in his life was no doubt something that was unusual and different about him. And so the Holy Spirit was present and was upon him, as it says. And the scriptures also tell us the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. So this wasn't something that he made up. This wasn't something that he bargained with God to get. This was something that the Holy Spirit being with him, had revealed to him, you will not die until you physically see the Lord Jesus Christ. And so no doubt he was waiting for this to happen. Now, again, we don't know how long this happened. He could have been told this last week. He could have been told this 80 years ago, as we said. We don't know how long he'd been waiting. We don't know how old that he was. So it's hard for us to gain a context. I would imagine it seems likely that he'd been waiting for some period of time to see the consolation or the Messiah come. And we'll talk about that in a minute. He knew that it would happen before his death. Now, I just want to pause here just for a minute and say, well, what was he doing this whole time? None of us like this word waiting. And I've talked about it before numerous times. We don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. We are very impatient as a population and probably growing more and more impatient as time goes along, as things get more and more fast. He had to wait for some amount of time. So what was he doing while he was waiting? Well, I think it's very obvious. He was living a righteous life and he was being devout. Now, we skip over this waiting thing because sometimes we think that this means that when you wait for something, you're simply just inactive. You're just sitting there waiting for God to tell you to do something, waiting for God to move in your life. But when we look at the word wait in the scripture, we know that it means to bind together. It is an active verb and not passive. And that means that when you are waiting for something, you are doing something. And what was he doing? He was giving praise to the Lord. He was worshiping the Lord. He was living a devout and righteous life. And so if God has told you to wait for something, then there is something that you are to do before that thing that God is telling you to wait for is finally revealed to you. And you are to be active about his business. And so being active, it says that he was in, in verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. So why was he there that day? I don't know. 
Was he there every day, physically waiting to see if the Messiah would appear? I don't know. Was he at home and the Spirit said to him, you better go to the temple today because today you're going to see the Christ? I have no idea. Was he standing there waiting as everybody brought their babies? Again, we don't always understand the context here. It's not like there was just this one special family that had halos over their head that walked up with the Messiah. No, they were poor. As I pointed out, they were giving doves as a sacrifice. And they walked into the temple like everybody else who'd had a baby around a month ago. And Simeon, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not only is told to be there, not only is told that you will not die until you see the Lord, is told by the Holy Spirit, that baby right there. And he walks over and he takes the child in his arms and he begins to prophesy. Now backing up, and I'm going to have to start and stop with the story here. I want to talk about just for a minute the consolation of Israel. So as we know, hopefully, that Israel was promised a Messiah, the one who would come, who would heal and forgive all their sins, and would ultimately, at some point, be their king, their promised Savior to come. And a consolation is something we do to uh, console ourselves or to uh, alleviate some grief or to take away some type of pain due to a loss or a trouble or an injury. It's where we get the concept of a, like a consolation prize if you didn't win. We give you something to help you feel a little bit better if you didn't win the race, so to speak. It's where we get the idea that we're going to console someone who was hurt and upset about something. We're going to give them some type of comfort. And so when he says that he is waiting to see the Messiah, who is the consolation of Israel, he is waiting for the Messiah, the one who's going to come, who's going to give comfort to the people. And we see this is prophesied in Isaiah numerous times. I want to read Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she received from the Lord a hand double for all her sins. And so we see Israel has gone through a lot. Right? They were taken into slavery in Egypt. They wandered in the desert. They had to fight and contend for every inch that they got. And let us not forget that during this time, they were dominated by the Romans. They weren't really living free. They were in a captured culture. And yet the Messiah was coming, and they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for hundreds of years for a Savior to come. And Simeon had been waiting too for the comforter to come. Now, thankfully, those of us who were here today recognize that Jesus Christ is in fact that comforter and is that savior. As sad as it is today, the Jewish people are still waiting for a comforter. They missed the very fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the comforter came and they did not recognize him. We know from 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, it says, Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive from God. And so what I believe this tells me is that we are looking 
Because we are lost, because we are in sin, because we are undone, we are looking for something to comfort us. And what that comfort is, is Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And when we find him, when we place our faith in him, we are comforted, we are consolated, if you will, because of who he is. He is the comforter. And we are then able to comfort others who are going through a hard and difficult time. And the reality is we all desperately need some comfort. Some of us more so today than other days. Some of us more this month or this, well, it's been a short year, but over the last year, maybe more than others. There are times in our lives when we desperately need the comfort of a Savior who came for us, who knows us. And while we are waiting to behold that comfort, we should be binding together. We should be serving the Lord, waiting for Him, looking unto Him, no matter how long it takes. And so this is the position that Simeon is in, and he's, again, waiting for the Lord, righteously waiting, doing what the Holy Spirit leads him to do. He is at the temple at the right time. It is revealed to him who the Messiah is. He takes the Messiah and holds him in his hands. And he blesses God, and he gives a pronouncement. Now, I want to focus just for a minute also on the interplay here of the Holy Spirit, because I think this is really important. Because I really believe that the Holy Spirit operates in a similar fashion with us today. So the Holy Spirit is what brought Simeon to Jesus. It told him when to be and where to be, but he had to be obedient to it. And he had to be open to the fact that that child was in fact the Messiah. Now again, this may seem totally normal for us, but if you look at most of the other Jewish people at the time, they were waiting for what? For a literal king. They were looking for someone who probably would enter the temple with a great lineage of all these wonderful people who have gone before him, full of wealth and royalty, not the little poor couple over here who brings in their child. And yet Simeon was willing to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit and not look for a man the way that we might look, but look for who God told him to seek out. And I think it's very similar for us today when we talk about salvation. That God brings Jesus to us in our lives, that we have an opportunity, that we can put our faith in him, that we can reach out and take him in our arms, so to speak, or we can push him away and say, no, it can't be that, it can't be him, it can't be that easy. But we must yield to and listen to the Holy Spirit who draws us unto Him to be there. We also know that the Holy Spirit is going to give great peace. And Simeon had great peace. Great peace enough to say, I'm willing to sit down and to die now that I have seen what I was promised. Now, maybe this is easier for us to understand if we think and consider Simeon as some great age. So he's worked his whole life to finally get to the point that he can just glimpse and hold Jesus Christ. And he's ready. Okay, now I'm going to sit down. I've lived a long life. I'm ready to die. But what if he was young? What if he was only 23? Is he willing to lay his life down then and say, well, 
been waiting my whole short life for this. Now I'm done. The answer may be yes. And the reality is, when God steps into your life, when He comes to you, and you are saved and you know Him, while I'm not excited to leave because I feel like there are things for me to do, the reality is there is a peace with the knowledge that I have been saved enough that if He takes me, I am confident to know where I will go and I will cross when it is time for me to do so. It doesn't mean I won't fight for my life. It doesn't mean I want to go today. But the reality is the peace that God has given me through my salvation is enough for me to say, That's, what else is there? Can you say that today? Do you have that confidence? Do you know for a fact that you have met our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you know for a fact that you are saved and have the peace and confidence to say, God, that's all I ever needed was to know you. And now that I do, if you choose to take me, take me. If you choose to leave me, then let me live a life that is worthy of you. The reality is that the Holy Spirit, when he works upon us, changes our heart and our lives and our minds. And we see later on when he uh, blesses them, he says in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. See, he is prophesying here and giving a blessing saying, look, that Jesus Christ is going to basically divide things. And he later himself says he came. For that purpose, there will be people who believe in him and there will be people who don't. And they are going to be opposed to each other. And you know what? Two thousand years later, we are still opposed to each other. There are people who believe and there are people who do not believe. This is the reality. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about who and what God is, that he knows us that he lives inside of us, that he knows our thoughts and our feelings. No fleeting thought escapes the knowledge of God. And that is a great and wonderful God that we have. So let me go back to verse 29 here. Hopefully I haven't confused you by jumping around a little bit. We'll read this last part. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So let me break apart a few things here real quick. First of all, as I've already mentioned and hopefully made clear, there was an inner peace here that was granted by the Holy Spirit That is what we should seek as well. An inner peace that says when we finally get to meet our Lord and Savior, that we will have a peace that passes all understanding. That we will know that we've been saved. That we will know how we are to live. According to your words, what else could we ask for in life other than our salvation? There is also clearly expressed in here an essence of gratitude, of thanks being and giving glory to God for having had this opportunity. And he's also, I think, prophesying. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Again, we lose sight of this, but this would have been a pretty substantial thing to say 
as someone who's Jewish. Proclaiming this is the Messiah. This is the salvation of our people. And not just of the Jewish race, but of all people, as we see here in the next verse. So my eyes have seen your salvation, claiming that the salvation doesn't come in an earthly king. It doesn't come in a government. It doesn't come in education. It doesn't come in science, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. It comes in who? A little tiny baby who is fully God and fully man who will sacrifice himself for us. That is salvation. And that is what Simeon knew when he saw the Lord. He also says in here, in verse 32, that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And if you look through the book of Luke, you see that that is a major theme all through there and all through all the gospels in all honesty, that Jesus Christ is a light unto the world. And so we are predicting here, or he is predicting, that Jesus Christ will be a light that is revealed not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And that's us. So when we say Jew and Gentile in the scripture, it's either Jew is in Jewish and Hebrew or Gentile is in everyone else. And really up until this point, it was primarily thought that the Messiah would come just for the Jewish people. And Simeon here is saying something very important. He is saying that salvation and peace and the Holy Spirit will come not just for the Jewish people, but for all of us. All the world has an opportunity, regardless of your race, regardless of your heritage, to know the Lord, to have Christ be the light that is revealing to the entire world. And who does it reveal? It is for the glory of the people of Israel. And so we see here this important thing that Simeon did for us. He was obedient to the Lord. He was in the spirit at the right time. He was one who was admired for his behavior. He loved the Lord. He was promised by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah, the consolation of Israel, the consolation of all mankind. And he was led, as I believe, in the right place at the right time to receive the embodiment of God in his arms, to be able to hold the Son of God, Wouldn't you like to do that? We like to think about people. I say like to. I've heard people talk about it. But when I get to heaven, I want to meet so-and-so. Wouldn't it be interesting to meet him? How old were you? How long did you wait? Did people make fun of you? Did they give you a hard time and tell you, that's never going to happen? Did you live long enough afterwards to see Christ become anything? Or was he still a small child when you passed away? What did people tell you afterwards? What did your family think? Were you a priest? What kind of peace did you have when you held Jesus in your arms as a small, helpless child? How did you know that the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding you? Are these not questions that we have among ourselves, some of them today? That we want to know and understand, how do we be like Simeon? How do we live a life that is devoted to God 
and righteous to other people, that we listen to the Holy Spirit, that we are told what we should do, that we actually do those things, that we wait, that we bind up together while we wait, that we don't waste the time while we're waiting, that we live for the Lord so that we can have the Holy Spirit, that we can proclaim to the world the good news. There is a lot packed into this small little passage. The life of Simeon, who was righteous and devout, who waited for the Lord, who the Holy Spirit was on, who came to the temple in the Holy Spirit. How many of you came to the church today in the Spirit? It's a hard question, isn't it? Something to consider. The consolation or the comfort is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He brings comfort to all. He brings comfort and great peace at the moment of salvation. And then you may go to him and renew your strength to renew your peace, to renew your joy, to renew your comfort over and over and over again. Why can we do that? Partially because of this story, because he came as a child, because he grew and experienced all of the heartaches that you may experience today. Oh, maybe never the same way. But when you boil it all down, it's the same problems, the same temptations, the same frustrations, the same bouts of anger and rage, the same things of disappointment. You think he got everything he wanted? Told you his parents were poor, obviously. Christ experienced everything that we will, and we can go to him as the great comforter. And ultimately, Christ brings the internal peace that we should be grateful for. The salvation and the light and the glory that we inwardly are longing for. Whether we really realize it or not, whether the world knows it or not, we grab everything we can to try and make ourselves comfortable to fulfill ourselves. And at some point, at multiple points in our lives, we will realize that there is nothing in this world that can comfort and give us peace like the Messiah. Now, the reality is, nothing's really changed. Christ isn't here physically any longer. He's seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. But the Holy Spirit of God, who was active in this story, is still here, is still active. He lives inside of each and every one who's been saved. And he is here convicting and leading those who've not been saved to know him. And so, other than the physical aspect of this, everything about this count is still true today. God is still the light. He's still the Messiah. He's still the comforter. He's still the one who gives peace. And we still have an opportunity. Will you receive him or turn him away? And it really comes down to that. God is still moving. He's still trying. He's still wanting to save us. He's still wanting to work in our lives both for those to be saved and for those to be like Simeon, who I think clearly knew the Lord, but were servants of the Lord. And so what does God want you to do today? 
Does he want you to receive him, to finally come to know him, to put your faith in him? Does he want you to be in the spirit and to move in ways that he tells you? Does he want you to wait? I don't know what the Lord is telling you individually. But I do know that if we are still and if we will listen, the Lord will tell us something. And my encouragement today is that as we have a moment of time for us to reflect, that we listen to what the Lord tells us and that we act on it.